This season of Things Not Seen is sponsored in part by Loyola University's Institute for Pastoral Studies. Find out more at luc.edu slash ips. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we remember back to when a song raised our spirits or a hymn lifted us up to the heavens. We speak to our guest Henry Kerrigan about his recent book, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life. We look at the histories of some of our favorite church songs and the unexpected twists and turns they've taken to get to our ears and our hearts. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Henry Kerrigan. He's a guitarist and music critic, and he's been playing gospel music all of his life. His life was changed, in fact, by Andre Crouch's If Heaven Was Never Promised to Me. He was playing that in a Jesus band in college. He's worked in churches, played spirituals, in prison ministry, and has taught religion and music in various colleges and workshops. He writes about gospel, soul, and the blues for the magazine No Depression, the quarterly journal of Roots Music and Living Blues. He lives near Chicago. Henry Kerrigan, I'm so glad that you're able to join us. Welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you very much, David. It's great to be here. It's nice to talk to you this way. Yeah, it's good to talk to you as well. We've been friends for a long time. I want to start our conversation at a point that is sort of near the end of your book. And it's with a 1974 album called The Gospel According to Ike and Tina. (laughs) Uh, This may seem like an unorthodox place to start a conversation about gospel music, but I think that it's perfect given the the scope of your book, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life. Why don't you tell us, first of all, a little bit about this album? If someone were to get a hold of this album today or to call it up on Spotify, what would they encounter when they come to the gospel according to Ike and Tina? They would encounter Ike and Tina as Ike and Tina, but they would encounter Ike and Tina going down a very different road. It's a joyous album. Not that I can tune to Turner's music is not always joyous, but in this particular song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, it's one that I discovered in the course of writing this book as I was listening to different versions of the songs, and I stumbled upon this, and I listened to the entire album, and I thought, well, there's a kind of spare quality to this. There's a kind of quality that you might not hear in some of I can tune to Turner's other songs. What a Friend We Have in Jesus is a bare bones kind of song as compared to some of the other versions of their songs, of their own rock and roll songs or their own rock and soul songs. And so when we hear this album, we're hearing old-time gospel music and old-time hymns, but right. reinterpreted in a rock and roll context. That's right. Yeah. That's right. right. But, but when, we, when we think about, and when I use that phrase, reinterpreted in a rock and roll context, that's really nothing new for gospel. Because if we think about the kind of way that gospel has mm-hmm. and spirituals have influenced the entirety of American music— we're really in this 1974 album by Ike and Tina Turner seeing a microcosm of the reinterpretation that has been part of the American music scene for close to a century. Is that a fair right. characterization? That's, that's fair. And I think that Jerry Zoltan, who has a book about the Dixie Hummingbirds, has just produced a film called Gospel Quartets, The Roots of Rock and Roll or something like that. 
And you can reach back a lot farther, uh, right? You can reach back a lot farther than I can Tina Turner. Uh, if you, there's a song, Sweet and Low Sweet Chariot, that I do, deal with in the book. And if you listen to Sam Cooke's version of that, which is his version of that after he left the Soul Stirrers, which was his gospel group, it sounds just like his song, Chain Gang. So I, there's, a, there's a great argument that can be made that gospel music is the root of all music in many, many ways. And it's definitely the roots of rock music because rock music has the structure. If you listen to Ike Turner's Rocket 88, it has that kind of guitar structure that some gospel music has. It has that call and response that gospel music has. It has some of those background vocals that gospel music has that characterizes gospel music. So gospel music floats underneath and makes its way into all kinds of music and country music, rock and roll music, bluegrass music, uh, so there are different genres of gospel, so to speak, even though there's, it's a bleeding, as you said. It's a kind of, they bleed across different genres, so to speak, of, of music. But there is an argument to me that gospel's right there at the beginning of rock and roll. I look at Elvis. All these folks ended up making gospel albums. Whether they decided, I'm going to make a gospel album or not, they found it somehow close to their themselves and close to their experience. And so just so that my listeners can be tracking, so what we've just claimed is that if you look at the roots of country and Western music, if you look at the roots of the blues, if you look at the roots of rock and roll, you're going to find a common thread that leads back to a type of gospel music. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, that's a, that's a big claim, but I'll, I'll step back from that claim just a minute because the, 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 the roots of gospel are blues. If you learn how to play blues... You can learn how to play gospel easily because gospel is really just the blues with God in some ways. So the gospel structure of a gospel song and many gospel songs is a 12-bar blues structure. And once you play that, then you can just play, move over it in the next little step. You can move right over to play some of the old gospel songs, and it's the same kind of rhythmic structure. So I, I step back and say that the blues— have the foundation. The blues and the spirituals, a thin line between blues and spirituals. As you know, um, spirituals have their origin in the uh, call and shouts of, of field, uh, the field call and shouts, field hollers. And it's a very thin line between those field hollers and those shouts in the field and what happens in juke joints or clubs on a Saturday night or other nights when somebody gets out a guitar and starts playing some of those songs. And they're doing what they're, they're doing with their guitars Folks in the field are doing it with their voices. So the leader will call out a phrase and folks will holler back to that leader. By the time it makes it to a club, then you've got somebody using a guitar to do that and calling out a phrase with a guitar like, keep your lamps trimmed and burning. So Blind Willie Johnson's calling out a phrase on the guitar and then he's matching that phrase with his voice. So And then that morphs into gospel music in a variety of ways. So, so I want to step back and say blues is the foundation of gospel, but there's, but you can make the case that gospel is the foundation for rock and roll. Gospel can be the foundation, except thematically maybe. Gospel can be the foundation musically for country. Thematically is a different question because country takes a different not as much talk about community and country. I want to dive into kind of yeah. all of these connections, <laughs> but let's let's actually take it back from there. So you talked about the kind of slave tradition of call and response in the field, and that leads to juke joints, and that leads to right. a kind of uh, adoption in in African American church services as well. That what we call the call and response. Right. But let's turn the mirror back for a moment and think about what the Bible gives us in terms of these mm. wide genres. So there's two phrases that I want to 
introduce into our conversation. One is doxology. That's the mm-hmm. praise of God. Okay. So praise God from whom all blessings right, flow, if right. our listeners mm-hmm. have heard. But there's also lament. So right. if you think about the book of Lamentations or some of the Psalms or the book sure. of Job, where sadness is encoded into and is brought before God, mm-hmm. both of those, doxology and lament, play a big part of the blues. Blues ain't nothing but a good man feeling bad. Right. But they also carry over into what we would call gospel music. So mm-hmm. draw a thread for us for a moment between these biblical themes of doxology, praise, and lament and what we see in the blues and what we see in gospel music. I don't think doxology is as pronounced in blues or gospel music. A gospel gospel music as gospel music. We want to talk about how great thou art, which is a hymn and not a gospel song, and there's a distinction between a hymn and a gospel song. Then, sure, there's doxology there. If you look at how—I don't know if we'll talk about that later, but how great thou art is a— it's a theological statement. It makes a, it makes a deep theological statement. And when you're in church and if you sing the song and listen to the lyrics and are involved in the verses, then you're embracing a theology, right? Gospel songs, so there are several themes that flow through gospel songs. And one clearly, as you said, is lament. And that is, I'm oppressed. I'm stuck here. I'm in this place. It's not a matter of individual salvation, even specifically. It's a matter of, God, how can I get out of this? How can I get somebody to lean on? How can I find a way to to get out of this great sadness or great uh, desperation or great despair, great anxiety? Um, and so that repetition, one of the functions of repetition in any song clearly is to move you to a place where you move out of where you are. That any song, any of these, almost any of these gospel songs have enough repetition so that you enter the song in a certain place, you move to a new place, and you move out of that song in a different place in many ways. And most of the, and many of these songs start with lament, swing low, sweet chariot. Why am I here? You know, what, how am I going to get out of here? How, I, how do I get out of this place? Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. It's not a lament, but it certainly is, as one friend called it, a song of reckoning. So that you've got to be prepared to move out of this place. Right? You're in a place where you don't want to be and something new's coming. You don't want to be able to embrace that newness, so you want to be ready for that newness. Uh, wait in the water. How do you get across that river? How do you get across that wide divide between you and God or you and others? That kind of thing. So I think lament certainly is clear in most of these songs in a way that doxology maybe isn't. And we can talk about individual songs, but... I think that certainly carries across. So what I'm hearing, and this is edu- this is an education for me, is that if we talk about the various styles of music, I would, before this conversation, have lumped gospel and spiritual and those kinds of music and hymns all together. But you're telling me that there's that there's strong distinctions between them. Am I, am I hearing that correctly? Okay, so that's that's a great question, and part of the conversations I've had about this book, it's helped me to clarify, right? But when I wrote the book, the the publisher said, "Oh, I have this book you can write. Here's the title." So we got. So I chose 15 songs that were familiar to me. That's how these 15 songs ended up in the book. As long as I could call them gospel songs, and we kept the title "Spirituals." I think spirituals and gospel songs are similar. Gospel songs arise out of spirituals because they have that structure. The difference between a hymn and a gospel song is that hymns focus on God, and gospel songs focus on our own experience. 
I'm looking forward to digging into all of this, but let's take a break and let okay. folks know who you are. You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Henry Kerrigan. He's a guitarist and music critic. He writes for the journal No Depression, and he's just completed a book called 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Henry Kerrigan. He's a guitarist and a music critic. He writes for No Depression, the quarterly journal of roots music and living blues, and he's just completed a book called 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life. Well, let's take a step back and talk about you. You grew up in the church, but you say in your book 15 Spirituals that you kind of embraced in the mid-70s the rock and roll lifestyle. And you also say that you were playing in a a praise band, and your life was kind of touched and changed by a particular song called If Heaven Was Never Promised to Me by Andre Crouch. So tell us a little bit about that song, but also tell us about how that song spoke to you there that evening in the mid-'70s. Indeed. That was my—between my junior and senior year in college, I'd been playing in a rock and roll band down in West Palm Beach, Florida. I was going to Palm Beach Atlantic College, now university, but— I certainly, and I'd been going to First Baptist Church. The pastor there, the late Jess Moody, was a model for me in many ways of what it meant to love other people, um, how it meant to reach out to other people. And so I got involved in, uh, peripherally at least, marginally with this Jesus movement. And then during that summer, George Baldwin said, hey, man, why don't you come play with us? And I thought, I don't know, man, I'm playing rock and roll during the week and I'm playing folk and I don't know how I feel about being in a, a band that praises Jesus or the band that plays music that's religious. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I can do that honestly. I don't know if I can sit there and do that. So, But I thought, well, I'm a, a decent guitarist and it's fun to play music. So I said, okay, let me do that. <laughs> and we were, so Andre Crouch's music was pretty new at the time. It was just making its way into, and he'd been around for a few years, obviously, and he'd been playing on the scene with his own band, The Disciples. And, of course, Billy Preston got his start with Andre Crouch. And, but some of this music was new to me. I'd never heard it before. And this was a song that was in the key of B-flat, which is a, a key that most guitarists despise. You know, you know, most guitarists don't like you're a guitarist, you know, playing in flats, right? So you need to pull out the capo. And I didn't, I don't think I knew what a capo was back then. This was 40 years ago. So. <laughs> and... So I was trying not to play rhythm. I was just trying to play lead and do some lead licks and figure that out with this particular song. And we finished playing that song and we sat down. This was in an outdoor amphitheater called the Chapel Bottle Lake. And I sat there and all of a sudden this great feeling of peace came over me. And in that one moment, I thought, oh, I can find a relationship between God. I wouldn't have described it this way then, but I could find a relationship between God, the world, and others that made sense to me. God in some ways envelops all of us. I can see my relationship with all my folks here, even though we might be different theologically. This is somebody looking back on what happened. 
And I was appeased with myself. And at the beginning of my next year, the senior year, I started playing in prison ministry. There was a former inmate who went to our college, and he asked me to come with him to a, a minimum security correctional institute in Lantana, Florida, called Lantana Correctional Institution. <laughs> and we did every Sunday service down there, and I would play mostly easy hymns for them to sing, right, and ones that I could play. I didn't play how great they are on the guitar. And... Uh, so that changed my life in lots of ways. And I ended up going to seminary and went on to graduate work in religion and literature. And so kept playing along the way, but then played other kinds of songs as well, of course. You've mentioned earlier in the conversation that these types of songs have a theology. And what interested me about the Andre Crouch mm-hmm. song is that it's got a very peculiar theology. Well. <laughs> and so t- tell, tell our listeners a little bit about the theology of that song. Well, so that... That one of the reasons that song might, might probably change me was because I grew up in a place where, if you followed Jesus, then you went to heaven, and if you didn't follow Jesus, you're going to hell. So it's a very clear black and white sort of Psalm one: trees right. planted by clear water will flourish. That exactly kind of, right, yeah. right, right. So every so people look into an afterlife by following Jesus, and I don't, I didn't embrace that. And that so Andre Crouch's song talks about a completely different kind of way of thinking about the world. If heaven never was promised to me, even God's promise to live eternally, it'd be worth just having the Lord in my life. And so I thought, oh, you don't have to worry. It's not you don't have to worry about it, I guess, but I don't have to think about what an afterlife would mean. I can be a good Christian without worrying about having heaven promised to me. I can live in this world and help people in this world and— whether I would even call it leading people to Jesus, whether I'm, I'm loving people, taking care of people, I'm bringing the love of God and love of Jesus to people in where they are and, and in their own place, then that song helped me to think that, wow, this is, I can still love, love God and love others and God will love me and love others through me without being concerned about the afterlife. Now, what interests me about that description is earlier in our conversation, you made the distinction between, say, a hymn and a Negro spiritual. And you said a hymn sort of focuses on God, whereas a spiritual sort of talks about the experience of the person who's there and trying to figure it out. One of the things that I like about what you just said is that the Henri Crouch song— if heaven were never promised to me, mm-hmm. it makes that same shift, doesn't it? It, I mean, it, it does, does. It does talk it does. about the afterlife, but it really made you focus on your behavior here and now. It does, and I think if you listen to the song and you listen to Andre Crouch singing that song, and Andre Crouch himself has an interesting history within the gospel world. I and mean, when he first started playing, at least when he started playing in the early '70s, and the disciples were embracing jazz and rock and roll, there are many gospel figures who thought of him as the devil because yeah. I mean, he was embracing a different kind of music to try to introduce it to other, a broader a broader audience. Uh, that is mu- musical structure, not necessarily the—he was still singing these kinds of themes about these kinds of themes, but if you listen to that song, it's—there are two things about that song. One is that it's most definitely— has the hallmarks of good gospel. It starts out with this great gospel piano, and by the second verse, the background vocal comes in to mirror, to sort of call and respond to his lead vocals, to his melody vocals. And 
by the time you get to the last verse, that background vocals got, has you floating along with his. So, and that's a characteristic of great gospel music, uh, primarily black gospel music, but also some Southern gospel quartets. So you can find that in Southern gospel quartets too. In your book, 15 Spirituals, It Will Change Your Life, you actually talk about the instrumentation of that song, If Heaven Had Never Been Promised to Me. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how at one point flutes come in to sort of lift you up. That's and, right. Yeah. Right, and, right. That's right. Yeah. There's a... so. Our listeners should listen to that song. Put that on. Maybe that should be the first one you drop. But on the on the turntable. But there is one of the beauties of gospel music is the structure of gospel music itself. One of the goals of my book, we might return to this. One of the goals of my book was to have people pick this book up, read each chapter, and listen to various versions of the songs and to discover which one of those versions might move them. Somebody told me yesterday that he's always been a fan of leaning on the everlasting arms. And when I talked to Bill Cody on WSM in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, we started the program with Alan Jackson's version of leaning on the everlasting arms, which is a real slow sort of galloping little gospel song of kind you might hear in a little white country church, right? But then if you, you can listen to another version of that, like Five Blind Boys of Alabama, and find that it's more syncopated, sort of pick it up kind of thing, and you're sort of jazzy dancing along with it for a minute there. So it takes you to a different place. So that was one of the goals of my book, is that you listen to these songs and find out how they mu- move you musically. In fact, you can... I don't know that I listened to the words of that song when I was playing it. I was just trying to figure out where I'm going to enter the song musically back in 1974. And that's what moved me about the song, and then so I've played it since, and of course the words came to have meaning as well. One of the things about the structure of your book, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life, that I think will be very inviting to readers is that you give in each chapter about these songs, you'll, get, you'll give a little capsule history of how the song came to be. Mm-hmm. But then you'll also walk the reader in into the song and into right. its verses and structure. And then at the end, you give a kind of reflection where you you invite them to do exactly what you just said, mm-hmm. listen to several versions of the song and to explore where they're being touched by this right. song. Right. So when you were coming up with this structure, tell us a little bit about what it was about that approach, the history, the song structure, and then this invitation to reflection that appealed to you in terms of inviting the reader into these songs. I think that... Knowing a little bit about the song is important, and you want to come in in the middle of something, right? So that was important to have that little introductory chapter. And in and, and some of the chapters, I talk about why I chose the song, and there's a little personal story to go along. Not in all the chapters, but in some of the chapters, like in If Heaven Never Was Promised to Me, that chapter starts with, with that, and Keep Your Lamps Trimmed and Burning starts with that, and some others. And then, I, as I was thinking about the structure of the book, because when I was asked to write the book and I get with the proposal, I kept thinking... How do I write this book? What would I do? What, what, what would I do that would make sense for me to write a fairly short book that will be accessible, that won't go into lots and lots of detail and won't overwhelm people with details? And I thought, well, maybe that's the best way to do it is to focus on just a verse by verse. So in, in the in analysis section, there's the history section that is a real brief introduction to the history of the song and the composer and the time. And it's very brief. It's two and a half pages maybe. Then in the analysis, I thought, well, let's do a verse by verse and choose verses and talk about how those verses resonate theologically or resonate spiritually. And then the reflection was gave a chance, as you said, gave a chance for people to, to go back and listen. And I asked people, most of the time I started in the reflection section, I started with questions. Uh, and have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt that way? 
when's the last time you felt this way? Have you ever thought about what it means to stand on God's promises? What does that mean? You know, and I think I used a, an illustration in that particular reflection. But and then I did invite, as you said, I did invite people to listen often to say, choose one, two, three, four versions. Listen to those versions. I taught a class on this book in my church a few weeks ago, and one Sunday we didn't have we didn't have a lot. It's an hour per class, so we listened to on the Spotify playlist. There are, I think, six or seven different versions of Swing Low, and we listened to each one so they could get a sense of the differences in people's approaches. So, and then I encouraged them to say, listen to one of these and see which one moves you the most and which one you would. Use this kind of your meditation, right? That may, in some ways, this is a book for you to pick up, use the music as your devotional exercise. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Henry Kerrigan. He's a guitarist and music critic. He writes for No Depression, the quarterly journal of Roots Music and Living Blues. We're talking about his recent book, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with Henry Kerrigan. He's a guitarist and music critic. He writes a lot for No Depression, the quarterly journal of roots, music, and living blues. We're talking about his recent book, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life. So when I was in seminary, we used to make a joke about the Methodists, and we would say that the, <laughs> that the Methodists sort of learned their theology through their hymnody, through singing songs. In our conversation, that has come up a lot, the idea that somehow these songs, regardless of their genre, they have a view about the world and a view about God sort of encoded into them. I was also thinking as I was preparing for this conversation that I have heard stories about people who are suffering from senile dementia or Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. and that oftentimes, even though they lose their relationships and they they lose other parts that are essential to anchoring their lives— one of the things that stays with them even to their last darkest moments mm-hmm. is the hymns that they grew up right, with. Right, right. So let's let's take a moment and let's let's swim in that for a moment. Okay. What does this music do for us? What does it give to us that good preaching doesn't give to us or that that good liturgy doesn't give to us? What's essential about this type of music? It matches our soul. I guess there's a way in which good gospel music reaches into our soul, and it stays there. It embraces us. It gives us a chance to embrace it. Good gospel music, well, I mean, bad gospel music too, I guess, but (laughs) the great thing about Aretha Franklin, I'm going to go down the Aretha Franklin thing for a minute, but the great thing about Aretha Franklin's version of Amazing Grace is that if you listen to that, it's 11 minutes long, and and some people have a hard time listening to it because it it takes a long time to get from that first note to the second note and that kind of thing. But it gives you a space to enter the song. And that's what happens with good gospel music. It gives you the space to enter the song where you're ready to enter it. And it finds a place to embrace you and move your soul. There's also that preaching is very rational, or some preaching is very rational. It asks us to employ our powers of reason. And so a lot of that preaching doesn't touch our hearts. 
because it asks us to use our brains or use another part of our psyche to engage with it. So I think that's different in the black church, though. I think what happens with preaching in the black church is that black preaching is gospel preaching in the sense that it uses the structure of gospel music to reach people in their souls. And I also think that in the black church, what happens is a lot more music in the black church that you're going to enter that church singing all the time and singing a lot more than you're going to be preaching. And so it touches you in a place that stays with you, and you're going to go out of that church singing, whereas in other white churches, you don't often go out singing. You might go out lamenting. You might go out thinking, oh, man, I haven't done enough for Jesus this week. Or you might go out thinking, how do I become a better church member? How do I become a better Christian? But for folks in black congregations, you often find those folks going out singing because they've been touched and they carry that music with them in their souls and hearts all the time. And that's what good gospel music does. I think that's why it stays with us. It moves us in our soul. And that's why the music itself is so important. That's why all these spirituals, and there could be a, there are hundreds of other of these kinds of songs, but just the way the music is written, it gives us that chance to find that rhythmic component that moves our moves us physically and then moves us spiritually. Yes. So we've begun to touch on this, but I, I kind of want to now go down this road. Mm-hmm. You've talked about now the distinctions between sort of white gospel music and black gospel mm-hmm. music. And you note in your book, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life, that Billboard magazine, which is sort of the, the gatekeeper of a lot of the success or failure of these kinds of songs in the marketplace, has a real distinction about this music in the way that it catalogs and monitors it. And and I want to, first of all, talk about that distinction. So what does Billboard do that's notable? Well, Billboard's charts are divided into gospel charts and contemporary Christian music charts. And the gospel charts are primarily, so 99% focus on black gospel artists. And if you go to contemporary Christian music, 99% of those artists are white contemporary Christian artists whose music might better be called praise music. Now, that's not exclusively true because I think you could find Lecrae's music when he was published, when he released his first album, it'd probably be on the Christian charts as well as on the gospel chart, or it might not have been on the gospel charts since it was rap. And Kirk Franklin might find himself on the Christian charts too in his, with his new album. But, but by and large, there's that divide. So it, it does, in and of itself say that there are two different forms of this kind of music. And for folks who are outsiders and looking at this, you can ask the question, well, so I'm listening to this song by Lauren Daigle, who's a contemporary Christian artist. She's on the contemporary Christian chart. But you can ask yourself, is that gospel music or is that, what, what do I call that kind of music? And unfortunately, now, so let me step back from that that clearly the roots of that music are in gospel music, right? If gospel weren't there, I mean, Andre crouches at the beginning of some of this, as is Larry Norman and Petra and Second Chapter of Acts and I think some of those groups in the early 70s, uh, who today might be considered contemporary Christian artists, right? And you and Andre Crouch, maybe Andre Crouch, maybe not, depending on what song you're listening to. But <laughs> so, but today... If you look at the contemporary Christian chart, a lot of those songs are called praise music. They're just choruses. 
No, that's an oversimplification. And somebody's going to call in and say, <laughs> ask that question. But, but in large measure, it's true. They're, you don't need a hymnal for those songs. Right? You mentioned hymnals uh, just a few minutes ago. And Levi Lowry the song, has a song called The Day the Hymnals Died. His intent in that song was to say, these are part of the fabric of our being. And we did learn more about that. We don't learn more from seeing words flashed up on the screen. And we don't take this. That's, that's, a, that's an arid theology, I guess. Well, as I was thinking about what you were just saying, I think about the Christopher John Falson song, I See the Lord, which is mm. a, a praise song through and through. Right. And it's, it's a very upbeat incredibly ecstatic song, mm-hmm. but it's reflecting a moment in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah is not feeling upbeat or ecstatic, right. but he's yeah. viewing the throne of the Lord and he's he's having uh, an existential crisis. Right, right. And this speaks to the kind of problem that you just talked about, the fact that we can sometimes, we can lose the theological heft right. of and the connection to the experience mm-hmm. if we just, and this is your word that you use a couple times in your book, 15 Spirituals, if we sanitize mm-hmm. the music. Right, right, yeah, right. And that's and that's it's an unfortunate. So Billboard's done that over the years. So now Billboard has an Americana chart, um, for example, and it used to be a folk chart. Now it's an Americana chart. I think Billboard took away. They don't have a blues chart anymore. So, but that's just a symptom of a larger issue when people try to say, when, when people trying to find a category for music. So I've just talked about taking the anchor away from some of the texts that get used in some of this music that's in Mm -hmm. the wide umbrella of these genres. But let's also look at the ways in which, so for example, you mentioned the Blind Boys of Alabama and Mm -hmm. their version of Amazing Grace. But So they take the the text that John Newman wrote and they anchor Mm -hmm. it in a different tune than say Aretha Franklin would Mm -hmm. or maybe Mm -hmm. the, and so talk to us about how it is that this music is fluid in a good way where the the words can live in new in new structures of 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 arrangements. Okay. Okay. Well, in Blind Boy's case, of course, the the actual musical structure of House of the Rising Sun and Old Folk Tune and Amazing Grace are, are the same. So, they're able to take that and make it that way, but I just heard the McCrary sisters sing that version, another gospel group, the McCrary sisters sing that version uh, a couple of weeks ago and it their version is really spacious. The Blind Boys' version of Amazing Grace and House of the Rising Sun is a little more up, upbeat in the sense that it moves a little bit quicker. But the McCray Sisters is very spacious and it gives people a place to enter into it. Keep Your Lamps Trimmed and Burning is another example of that because it's a couple of different versions of that. The original by Blind Willie Johnson, but then Reverend Gary Davis had his own version of it. And if you listen to those closely, they're all blues songs, but they... Take the Matthew story about the the ten foolish women who were waiting for the bridegroom and didn't fill their lamps and that sort of thing. But each one of those takes that song a little differently and uses the same words, same ideas to 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 get that message across. And so when we think about these things like how we classify these songs mm. and how we anchor these songs and how these songs relate back to mm. scripture and experience, right. there's a lot of landscape to cover. There is. <laughs> that's right. And the one thing, you, another, that's that's a great point because another way to think about it is thematically, right? So, so there's a scriptural component, right? And, that, and all of these songs that we're discussing have some kind of scriptural allusion, whether it's an explicit or implicit. And then there's the the musical structure, 
which is not the same, but it has resonance across the board for many of these songs. And then there's a thematic structure. So the themes that are covered in all the songs in these books. So there's the, there are the themes of, in gospel songs, there are the themes of individual salvation. How do I, not necessarily how do I get right with God, but how do I meet Jesus? How does this song take me to Jesus? How does this song, I'm talking about myself as a an individual sinner who needs cleansing and meeting Jesus in that way. So there's this, the theme of individual salvation. There's the theme, there's a clear theme of community in all of these songs. There is a sort of a coming together as a community to embrace each other and to help each other through this particular crisis in which we find ourselves. I mean, you clearly find that in Wade in the Water, um, Swing Low Sweet Chariot, Steal Away to Jesus, even Off Fly Away, but certainly those three. You find that theme of community a great deal. And Keep Your Lamps Trimmed and Burning, the theme of community is there, but it's more individual about your own self getting ready. And then there's the theme of apocalypse and restoration. So the end is coming, right? So there's that Keep Your Lamp Trimmed and Burning is a great example of that because it's because the end is coming soon, right? If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Henry Kerrigan. He writes often for No Depression, the quarterly journal of Roots Music and Living Blues. We're talking about his recent book, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, folks, this is David. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the work that I do. As you might be aware, in addition to this show, I help produce a number of other programs about culture and faith. One of those is the Freedom Road podcast. It's hosted by Lisa Sharon Harper. She's a front lines, on the ground activist and advocate for issues of justice and peace. Each month, she gathers a group of leaders together to talk about progressive issues from a faith perspective. I record and produce the show, and every month I come away from the conversations deeply moved and having learned a ton about our world and the struggles for justice. I'd love for you to listen. You can find the Freedom Road podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as well as at their website, freedomroad.us. That's freedomroad.us. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Henry Kerrigan. He's a guitarist and music critic. He writes often for No Depression, the quarterly journal of Roots Music and Living Blues. We're talking about his recent book, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life. So towards the end of the book, you say that you have played these songs or versions of these songs that you talk about in your book, 15 Spirituals, in churches, bars, and prisons. (laughs) And so I want to ask you, first of all, about the differences that you found in playing this music in those different locations? Well, in churches, so when you play it in a church, people come to the songs with what they know. So I played this recently in my, I played uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus recently in my church at the end of one of my classes. And I played it in a way that I would normally play it maybe in a prison ministry somewhere other than maybe in a church. They weren't ready to go there with me yet. They were ready to sing it as a hymn. They had been accustomed to singing it as a hymn. And someone even told me afterward, he said, we're just not ready. We, we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to sing in the way you're asking us to sing it, right? So a few weeks later, I played Will the Circle Be Unbroken, which is that great valedictory, the second national anthem, so to speak, that gets played all over the place. And if you listen to the verses of that song, it's a sad song. 
It's a song about death. It's a song about a guy looking out the window, seeing his mother being taken away, and but then the chorus becomes very joyous. And a few a few weeks ago, I played this at a at a club, and I couldn't expect anybody out there to have any kind of religious background. For them, it was just this joyous song. They weren't going to think about the lyrics very much. They were going to get together and clap, and they were going to think about, well, the circle band broken. I asked them to think a little bit about the lyrics, but I could play that however I wanted to, and they would follow me. And in prison, playing these songs, again, they don't, have a, they don't necessarily have a context for this. So when I, we would go to the prisons on Sunday mornings, the context was whatever we set for it. Now, did they have favorites? Of course. The favorites were the ones that gave them some kind of hope, anchored them. Songs with, with which they were probably familiar from their upbringing, or some of them, not all of them, but uh, the prisoners were some familiar with their upbringing. So, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, Leaning on the Arrasting Arms, I'll Fly Away. Those are the ones we played. Amazing Grace. Uh, those are the ones we played a lot because those are the ones that people engaged with, right? I'm in this lonely place. I need a friend. I need somebody to lean on. So, and again, there was not a context like I've sung this in church just as I know how to sing the song, but I'm ready to follow your lead. So the differences, I think, are having that, sort of like reading the Bible, right? You get told all your life that this passage means this particular, has this particular meaning, and so you embrace that meaning, and it's hard to move off of that meaning because you've embraced that meaning. Same thing with spirituals. It's very hard if you've sung it all your life to move off of that cadence, rhythm, I think even when you read the book and try to listen to those different versions, you will have some, there'll be a challenge because you're not used to hearing it a certain way. And, and you might not listen to that, that particular way anymore. You might not listen to Ike and Tina Turner saying, what a friend we have in Jesus, because you're used to singing it in church with an organ and in this particular time uh, signature. So those are the differences, I think. Well, do you have a particular favorite place? where you've sung these? I mean, of the churches, the bars, mm -hmm. and the prisons, where has been the most meaning or resonance for you performing these songs? I think probably the prisons, because I th those were the places where they meant something and where I could go every Sunday. And we might sing the same songs, David. Honestly, we probably sang the same hymns every Sunday because they were easy to play and think they embraced it in, in an engaged way. And they were there because they wanted to be there. They were there because they were engage with why we were there and what we were doing there. And I, that's, I think, my favorite place. So I'm now going to ask you, as we bring the conversation to a close, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you to prophesy a little bit. <laughs> so we've talked about how Billboard has made gospel and contemporary Christian music a genre. We can also think about artists who would never be found on those charts, artists like you too. So Bono right, right. identifies as a Christian, but he's never, he's never classified with the other contemporary right. Christian singers. What is the future of this musical style? Where, where can we see it going in the 21st century? That's a great question. And my wife asked me that question recently. She said, what's the future of gospel music? And so my answer was, I think, that... We're seeing a resurgence in gospel choirs, the gospel choirs movement. It's not really a movement, but we're seeing a resurgence in gospel choirs, and that that's holds a future in many ways for gospel music. I also think that the using other styles of music in gospel music keeps some of that keeps gospel music alive. So we so we will hear it play. We will hear gospel music played in 
different settings, whether we think of it as gospel music or not, like Anderson East's song. But I do think the resurgence of a gospel choir is a huge, has a huge impact on the future of gospel music. And I think we see that growing and growing and growing all the time now. And Chicago is a place, we're in Chicago. Chicago is a place where those, some of those gospel choirs had their start and they continue to be, they continue to flourish here. And I think we'll see artists coming out of those choirs. That's the great thing. Those were the seed beds for artists who grew out of those and became soloists. Think about James Cleveland, for example, or Thomas Dorsey, uh, some of the greats. And the Claire Ward singers, and the other ones in Chicago, but still Claire Ward and Gertrude Ward and, and those folks coming out of those to become, and Aretha Franklin, right? And I think when you see individuals coming out of those, Kirk Franklin, uh, for example, individuals coming out of those choirs and becoming soloists, they're, they're the ones carrying the torches. And I think it'll continue to thrive. And it will continue to be an influence on other kinds of music. I think the great thing about gospel music is that Gospel music never goes away in the sense that, well, thematically, we always have these themes. These themes are always with us, right? And the, the structure of the songs is always with us. We, we're never going to get rid of the, the song, uh, sorry, the musical structure of Amazing Grace. The structure for Amazing Grace is also the structure for Gilligan's Island, the theme show, House of the Rising Sun. So they float underneath so much so much of the music we have anyway. And if you listen to the music, whatever kind of music you listen to, even whether it's hip-hop or rock and roll or soul or country, then thematically there might be differences. Clearly they would be. But you will hear echoes of gospel music and all of that music. Well, Henry Kerrigan, you and I have been friends for close to two decades. We and have. I've been enriched in every conversation I've had with you, and you've taught me so much about both religion and music, but I will just say that reading this recent book by you, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life, you gave me gifts in a new way, and I really enjoyed the book, and I really enjoyed talking to you about it today. Thank you for oh, being with us. Oh, it's been great, David. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you. We've been speaking today with Henry Kerrigan. He is a guitarist and music critic, and he's been playing gospel music all of his life. He was changed by Andre Crouch's If Heaven Was Never Promised to Me when he was playing it in a Jesus band in college. He's worked in churches, played spirituals in prison ministry, and taught religion and music in various colleges and workshops. He writes about gospel, soul, and blues for No Depression, the quarterly journal of Roots Music and Living Blues. And we've been talking about his recent book, 15 Spirituals That Will Change Your Life. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park, here on the south side of Chicago. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC is responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part through the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and to find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. 
please join us.